Moving away from preaching verse by verse through the book of Philippians this morning and sharing a topical message, highly topical, which I'm not prone to do very often, but I'm greatly burdened, as I just shared, regarding the events in Kansas City at the conclusion of the Super Bowl rally this past Wednesday, Valentine's Day, February 14, 2024. I attended the rally, kind of. I missed the Royals rally in 2015 as I'd been widowed a couple of days before that took place, and so I was in no shape to do that. I didn't attend the rally in 2020 or 2023, uh, 2023, I'd had surgery a week before. You all would not have been pleased for me to do that. But I attended this one, and I went to Union Station to enjoy the celebration, and I was only there for a little while. Only there for a little while. It lasted two and a half hours or so, three hours, that's right. I got there a little bit early. And I left before any of the actual ceremony began, before the first person spoke. I left. Why would you do that? Beautiful day, 67 degrees, sunny, blue skies, great crowd of like-minded Chiefs fans celebrating. And in one word, I left because of debauchery. Now, I'm not a prude. I'm not naive. I spent nine years in the military. I know what debauchery is, I thought. But I was so soiled in such a short amount of time that I left. I'm surprised I didn't leave a bit affected by the smoke. We'll say it that way. That was everywhere. Maybe I am naive. That I wasn't injured by the multiple dangerous fights that broke, were ready to break out all around me. And we were all there for the same reason. But when drugs and alcohol and language and raucous behavior starts at about 7 a.m. on a given day. And by then it was about 11 or so a.m. Maybe I should have recognized that anything should be expected. But I did come away with a renewed conviction, folks, that Kansas City needs the Lord. Kansas City needs the Lord. And that's the title of today's, this morning's message. The shooting of nearly two dozen people, nine of whom I believed were children, at the end of the rally, only has deepened that conviction. And then I learned the shooting is believed to have taken place at the hands of a couple of teenagers. And I don't even know what to think. Such reckless disregard for that which God has 
created is beyond really, I guess, our capacity to understand. And it's certainly not something that I am willing to accept, and I know you're not either. You'll find most of this message to be negative and probably discouraging. Wait till the end. Because we don't serve a God of defeat, but of deliverance. (laughs) We don't serve one who is inept and impotent relative to the vices of mankind, but one who brings victory to those who turn, who turn from depravity to liberty. And I have a positive role to play in this, as you do. And so I want to share this message that Kansas City needs the Lord from Proverbs chapter 14, and you know the verse, and verse 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. As is the case in much of Proverbs chapter 14, this verse juxtaposes contrasts side by side, righteousness and unrighteousness. Some 35 times in this chapter alone, righteousness and unrighteousness are contrasted side by side. Many of these present the ways of wisdom and the ways of foolishness. Notice in verse 1 of chapter 14, you will see that. Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. Verse 3, in the mouth of the foolish is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise shall preserve them. Verse 8, the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. Verse 16, a wise man feareth and departeth from evil, but the fool rageth and is confident. I'll show you. I'll pull out my assault rifle and just spray it into the crowd. Utter foolishness. How can mankind be so foolish? And yet, outside of Christ, maybe we ought not be surprised by anything that takes place. In our verse, verse 34, the word reproach means to bow the head. It can mean a sign of respect. It can be used in that way, but it can also, and in this context, mean bowing your head in shame. And the word righteousness, yes, there's imputed righteousness from the Lord when you are saved, but in this case, and in many cases in the book of Proverbs, it is the uh, outward action which is manifested from right living. And so I would argue and contend that for the first couple of hundred years of our nation's history, maybe not quite, maybe it ended with the world wars, but for a long while, our nation functioned righteously. Not that people were saved and redeemed, but that we had a discernible, definable, and demonstrative Judeo-Christian ethic by which we operated. Even when I was a kid, children, when I was your age, young people would never just speak out and blurt out 
obscenities and vulgarities in public. It just would not have been tolerated. It certainly would not have been tolerated in the classroom. And yet teachers are assaulted all the time. Policemen assaulted all the time nowadays in our culture. It's easy to curse the darkness in our culture. It is so prevalent. And so, I want to bring three points this morning about where we are, I believe, according to biblical theology, why we're there, and what we can do about it. First of all, the natural man, the man outside the Lord, the person who doesn't know Christ, who I was up until the age of 20, a lost sinner in the world with no fear of God before my eyes. The lost man is depraved. And because of that, God has placed a restraint on him, on her, so that we don't function as I'll do whatever I want to do anytime I want to do it without any fear of consequence. We don't want a world like that. God did not want a world like that. And so he placed upon mankind a restraint. Now, this isn't new info to you all. We understand that a person outside of Christ is alienated from God. In fact, Jeremiah 17, 9 tells us, clearly proclaims, the heart is deceitful above all things. Folks, we're not born good. We're not born with a blank uh, slate. It's not tabula rasa, an empty slate, and you start uh, writing on that slate, good or bad, uh, uh, when you start uh, coming to an understanding. No, you were conceived in iniquity. You were born with the Adamic nature. You were conceived with the Adamic nature. All humans say Jesus. That being the case. And so the heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately wicked. There needs to be a heart transplant. Who can know it? You can't even know your own heart. We understand that. We understand that a lost person is like this. He is not as sinful in his actions as he could be. That's because there is a restraint placed upon him placed upon her, the need for God to restrain so that society can function in some type of way. When I was lost, I didn't care about blasphemy. I don't even know that I recognized it was blasphemy. It wasn't just deadness spiritually. It was ignorance logically. There wasn't any logic to it or what I did, or or drinking myself into a stupor, or whatever the sin particular was at that time. But I didn't go out robbing stores. Uh, I didn't peddle drugs to children on the elementary school playground. Well, no, you you were a better person than, oh, don't, don't even think so. If I could have done it and reasonably got away with it, especially if I could have rationalized in my mind that it wasn't hurting you, I found it to be acceptable. But I didn't want to go to jail. I didn't want Connor to arrest me. And I tell you what, 
didn't your esteem go sky high for the law enforcement in Kansas City this week? Amen. Praise the Lord. Brother Poindexter saw, saw a clip of your son, policeman, running into the storm with a defensive weapon. Grew up here. I didn't want to be restrained in jail, so I recognized the restraint that society had placed on my corruption, even though I didn't recognize that it had come from God. He's the one who put that moral restraint on our culture so that we could, to some degree, live in a civilized way. Now, I don't have to have that. Because as a believer, I have imputed righteousness. God has written his law in my heart. The Spirit of God convicts and convinces me from within. The Word of God is authoritative, and my heart's desire is to honor him. But that's not the case with our culture. Kansas City needs the Lord. Okay, preacher, that's great. I agree. What's the problem? There is a restraint placed on lost people that God has ordained. Therefore, their actions and their reactions should be curbed, should be controlled. Here's the problem. The American culture has rejected that. We'll not have you rule over us, shaking an angry fist in the face of God, as it were. And so, if it's been rejected now, social mores become whatever I deem is what I want. I am the center of the universe. And it doesn't matter what God has said. It doesn't matter what he has set up. My hedonism, that is, pursuing the satisfaction of the flesh, rules the day. And the paganism of America's entertainment and the humanism of America's education and the pragmatism of America's churches If it works, it must be right. How about if it it is humbly dependent on God and manifests his glory? How about that is what is right? That is what is righteous. That's why churches like us, uh, not not discounting the, the providence of God and his will and what he wants, we're never going to, we're never going to amount to much relative to what the world thinks is much because the world doesn't like it this way. I wouldn't have attended. I wouldn't have, I could, I went up and down Redbridge Road a thousand times. That's not hyperbole. A thousand times when I was growing up. I wouldn't have any more come in this church than a man in the moon would have. Why? I don't care about this stuff as a lost person because I'd rejected God's moral restraint. 
But folks, our entire culture has. And we have sown to the wind and what's happening. We're reaping the whirlwind. And here in South Kansas City, we know something about the damage of tornadoes. R.C. Sproul quoted a, a title of a book in the Sunday school class this morning, The Eclipse of God. You see, you can't, you can't do away with God, but let's just put him out of our sight. Let's just make it so he's not visible. <clears throat> this is going to sound self-serving, and I've checked my heart, and I think what I'm going to say is proper. I'm confident I wouldn't say it. Those hearing a message like this should not leave saying that was negative. That, was, that, that didn't build me up. I didn't come to a worship service like that for something like that. But instead should say, it's about time a 21st century preacher shucked some corn and thank you Lord for that because folks it's not going on in our day gone are the days of preaching sin according to the what the word of God says is sin and hope in Christ and in him alone <clears throat> Kansas City needs the Lord in 1798, our second president, John Adams, wrote, We have no government armed in power, capable of contending in human passions, unbridled by morality and religion. Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate for the government of any other. If we cast off God's restraint, then we're left to our own devices. And natural man, apart from God's principles, cannot govern himself. So what's the answer? Well, the answer is civil laws founded on the bedrock truths of God's word that are enforced. And I'm not talking about a theocracy. You can't change someone's heart by laws. But you can curb behavior with laws. What has happened to our law? Well, it's been degraded. The integrity has been degraded. Ecclesiastes 8.11. Because you do not execute a sentence against an evil work and do so speedily, I'm paraphrasing, the heart of sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. You let public sin and debauchery be acceptable and tolerated or dismissed, if we want to sound especially pious, then plan, schedule a whole lot more of the same because more is coming your way as a culture. Romans 13 and verse 4 says that government is God's agent to punish evildoers. Romans 13, 4 says, for he is the minister of God to thee for good. That is the government authority. But if thou wilt do that which is evil, be afraid for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger, to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. You see, <clears throat> that needs to be told to our authorities. Not to those 
in the street. It needs to be told to uh, our authorities, our public officials. God has ordained you with the authority to execute justice in our society. Because if you won't, just know, pagans and evil folks uh, and drug dealers and, uh, and all the rest are going to chase after more of the same. We have degraded our law coddle criminals and I know that firsthand even 38 years ago and how much worse is it now my sister and I our family uh, dad brother and sister were killed by a, a social derelict and the jury sentenced 28 years for three counts of vehicular manslaughter and one count of vehicular assault the judge struck it down he served two and a half years total two and a half years for four vicious felonies. We're not serious about crime. Look at our southern border. We are not serious about crime. That is not a political statement. There are laws, and they are absolutely being more than ignored. They're being mocked. We're not serious about crime in our culture. Secondly, Brother Saylor alluded to it. The sanctity of life has been thrown out, discarded. In Genesis 1:27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female. I mean, how much more clear can it get there? And yet churches will talk about the Mount of Transfiguration being an endorsement of transgenderism? God, help us. It's a, it is a wonder. It is the long-suffering nature of God that a lightning bolt didn't come through that building and consume everyone. God, help us from ever entertaining such utter blasphemy and nonsense as a local, in, as a local church that we would ever do such, such a thing here. You kill the baby, throw it in the dumpster. We are so low in our culture. 19 years ago, how much worse is it now? Withholding food and water intentionally from a disabled woman till she died some 13 days later of starvation, Terry Schiavo, through what is entitled physician-assisted suicide. Well, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd say you don't even need a physician for that. If you starved any one of us, we're gonna die at some point. Where has this low view of life brought us? Well, we now consistently see horrific crimes against humanity, children being maimed and killed and mass shootings and vicious beatings and road rage and, and the like. Young people, teenagers look this way. 50 to 60 to set, pushing 65 years ago, I don't remember one time a school shooting, a mall shooting, a theater shooting. I don't remember one time. And we, we watched Walter Crankcase every night. I don't remember one time in the whole country ever it being reported. If it happened, somehow it missed us and our family and we were pretty much tied in to what was going on. It is so common now that it has to be in our own yard, seemingly, for me 
to be shocked by it. Low view of life. Thirdly, the dignity of work diminished. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, for even when we were with you, this we commanded you that if any would not work, neither should he eat. My first job was a busboy in a steakhouse. I worked tirelessly because I was afraid that I would lose my buck and a quarter an hour job. I so needed to keep that job, so I worked at it hard. Now, work is hardly even necessary. What does God say? Lamentations 3.27, it's good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Young people, let me let you in on uh, some inside baseball here. It didn't used to be this way. Uh, I'm going to help you out in life. If you will get a job and show up on time without being drunk or stoned and work hard, you will never struggle for employment in our culture today. Why is that? Because employers can't find people like you. Just show up on time, be in some kind of a decent attitude, don't be high on something, and put in a a day's work. Employers are going to be standing in line to hire you. It is truly pitiful, the dignity of work being so diminished. And isn't it interesting that it corresponds side by side a one-to-one relationship with the increase of gambling in our culture? Heard a, a, a sports show on the radio a few days ago that there are still eight or ten or so states in our, uh, in our nation that do not have legalized gambling. And with the greatest measure of contempt in his voice, the announcer says, When will those people grow up? Folks, two generations ago, gambling was considered a vice. Gambling was considered a seedy activity that only those folks, the down and outers, did. And now it is as socially acceptable as about anything else that we do. In fact, I I looked at my, uh, my phone to see the time before I got up to preach. Not that I care how long I'm gonna preach, but uh, I thought I wanted to be be, uh, armed and ready in case one of you cared. And there was an ad on my phone for some kind of a special deal at a casino. Now why would a casino send an ad to my phone? I've never spent a penny on gambling at a casino in my entire life, though I was addicted to gambling back in the day. It's everywhere. No work, lots of return. The quality of virtue is demoralized in our culture. Romans 1.32, who knowing the judgment of God, even though we know we're going to have to face God one day, they which commit such things, blasphemy, perversion, and the like, even though worthy of death, they not only do it, but they have pleasure in them that do them. I'm cheering other people on as well.
so much debauchery in our society. It's not like I didn't know it, but I was bathed in it on Wednesday morning. It was pressing in everywhere for an hour. And I just went down there to cheer on my team that I've been a fan of which I've been a fan since 1965. I waited a long time, I waited 50 years <laughs> for, a, for a fun time. And my heart was profoundly grieved. And you know what? I rejoice that I was grieved over debauchery. You you hear me? I'm glad I was not indifferent to debauchery and that it was very real to me and very apparent while I was in that situation. Thought about whether or not I was going to show this and I'm going to. Because we have someone in our society, in our culture, in our city, who openly displays an expression, a testimony of knowing the Lord and wanting to follow the Lord. Case in point. My Christian faith plays a role in everything that I do. I mean, I always ask God to to lead me in the right direction and let me be who I am uh, for his name. So it has a role in everything that I do. And obviously it will be on the huge stage in the Super Bowl that he's given me. And I want to make sure I'm glorifying him. He's given me a big stage in the Super Bowl. And I want to glorify him in all that I do. Through my Christian faith, I don't know if you heard that, uh, that term, that phrase used earlier. I used to have a measure of respect, I guess, for lack of a better word, esteem for this one, until I naively tuned into the Netflix series on the quarterback. Who, who joined me in that? A number of you did. I sat there appalled. Kathy, did I say as much to you? I said, don't watch this. And she, and she loves the NFL. There were other quarterbacks who had proper decorum, who had proper discretion. One had a glowing testimony of following, loving Christ, and I didn't see anything that betrayed that. Our hometown hero professes Christ and has a gutter mouth. And I want to say, and I would not bring this out where there's not a public issue, public testimony of wanting to glorify God in all that I do. And I want to say, you cannot have it both ways. Nathan told King David, you can't have it both ways. Because of this sin, with Bathsheba having her husband Uriah, the Hittite, killed. Because of this sin, you have given great occasion for the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. I want to I share personally with our hometown hero. And I've said publicly, not, not only is he the best quarterback 
in the history. He's the best player, I believe, in the history of the NFL. But I want to say, this career is going to end sooner than not. You have an eternity to face. Recant and repent and testify. God has captured my heart. Then you'll be glorifying him in all you do. So in America, perversion is in, virtue is out. Internet porn, young adults cohabitating outside of marriage, same gender, couples being a family, having children. And America doesn't blush anymore. It's, it's so common. When it comes to language, lifestyle, or lewdness, anything goes. The restraint of God has been rejected, finally. The sobriety of society is disregarded. We don't care if there's sobriety. We don't care if there's if there is a sense of which public intoxication is wrong, it doesn't matter. But Proverbs 20, verse 1 says, wine is a mocker. That's its nature. Strong drink is raging. Whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And Americans have a love affair with mind-altering drugs. And alcohol as a beverage heads the list. You see... Alcohol, as a beverage, by its very nature, is deceiving. Because as you start consuming, it overtakes you before you recognize that you've already gone too far. Because you don't instantly, let me me do the chemistry. If I take a drink this very second, a large, potent drink, do I feel the Lessening of inhibitions, the impaired judgment. Do I feel, do I sense that right now? Depending upon your body mass, it may be a half hour before you sense that. So what do I do in the interim of that, of that first one in the half hour? What do I do? I drink more. And now by the time I'm starting to be inhibited, uh, 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 uninhibited because of it and losing judgment, there is a storm of poisoning headed toward my brain. If you're a Bible-believing Christian and you consume alcohol as a beverage, you're in the majority. Most do. Many here do. I would challenge you on the wisdom of such a decision. Attributed to Frenchman Alexis de Tocqueville, although I can't find it in his writings, he's attributed to have said or written, I sought for the greatness and genius of America in her commodious, that is her friendly harbors, and her ample rivers, and it was not there. In her fertile fields, boundless force, and it was not there. In her rich mines and her vast world commerce, 
and it was not there. In her democratic congress, her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits flame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because she is good. And if America ever ceases to be good, she will cease to be great. Our culture has thrown off God's restraint. And now it's every man, woman, child for him or herself. What do we do about it? Well, the follower of Christ must respond. And it's not too late because you're here and I'm here still. I still have an opportunity to make a difference while the enemy is sowing seeds of destruction and ruin and debauchery in our culture and using all kinds of means of accomplishing that, there's still a remnant. The gospel changed me. The gospel changed you. There's always hope in the Lord. Let me offer three very practical things that you, that I, can actually do right now. Pray. Pray for God's presence in your life, in the life of this church. And the prayer from the psalmist is, God, won't you revive us again that we may rejoice in you? And if that's an earnest and heartfelt prayer, that honors him. Certainly, he'll anoint, he'll bless, he'll give you opportunity, he'll give you a platform with family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, and the like. And you will have the opportunity to make a difference. Abraham prayed for Sodom in Genesis chapter 18. We too must cry out for our Sodom right here in this county, in this city, on behalf of our country, our cities, our communities, cry out to God to use you to make a difference. And then you in your own life and me, practice God's principles, Colossians 2.6. If I'm partaking in, in the same dirty jokes, if I'm indulging to a degree. See, I don't want you to be condemned. I don't want, you are not condemned if you're a child of God. We may disagree. Probably I do disagree with some here, but there's no disagreement about a mind-altering drug. And, and let's admit, that is the nature of alcohol, getting back on that soapbox. What does it do for you other than that? But we may disagree on that, but there's no disagreement that as a child of God, as a temple of the Holy Spirit, you are not to be controlled by such a thing. Amen? You are not to be controlled, but you are to be controlled by His Spirit. As you've therefore received Christ Jesus' Lord, walk you in Him. Right living comes from right thinking. Right thinking comes from right believing. Proverbs 23, 7 tells us that for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What comes out of the mouth is from the heart. My theology will determine my morality and my behavior. So don't say, don't testify that you love God. 
Don't pray publicly in the end zone and say, I want to glorify God in all I do. Or you doing something similar in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in, within your family members. And then in an altogether different context, you're just letting it rip. And there's drunkenness. And there's intoxicating smoke. And there's debauchery in life. And, and there's blasphemy in language and all. Just don't tell anyone you're saved. Do the rest of us a favor so that we don't hear the mockery of the enemy because of what is coming out of your life. Practice what you believe. Thomas Jefferson, our third president, is reported to have said, I never believed there was one code of morality for a public man and another for a private man. Preacher, that's for you. That's not for me. Where's that? As you have all received Christ Jesus the Lord, all of you walk in him, consistent with biblical principles. So live out God's word in our community. And thirdly, preach. Preach it. Tell folks. Romans 10, 14. How are they going to hear without someone to share with them? How are they going to hear without a preacher? If not you, then who's going to do it? In your workplace, in your neighborhood. God wants me not only to pray and to live in such a way as to model my love for him, but to actually tell others that there is freedom in Christ and there is hope for eternity in him. Proverbs 11, 11 said, by the blessing of the upright, or you could say the righteous, is the city exalted, but it is overthrown by the mouth of the wicked. We, we have seen that in a very fresh way this week in our culture. You can make a difference. I can make a difference by crying out to the Lord, God, you must do something. And how will you use me? By living in such a way, and make sure your motive is not, I got to gut this out. I got to uh, clean up my act. No, 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 no. More repent of worldliness if that's in my life and surrender and yield. God, do something with this vessel and through this vessel. And here I go. I'm going to do something for the, in the name of Christ to make a difference for the gospel's sake. These are not bad times in which to live. These are wonderful times in which to live for the child of God. Imagine you were in a leper colony and you didn't have leprosy. And you were around all of the lepers and you couldn't get leprosy. And, and everyone said to you, how is it that you rise above all of this? And you happen to have the medicine, medicine that will cure the leper for life. You do have that medicine. You do have that answer. For other foundation can no one lay but that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The gospel message. Lord, would you take this, your word and principles and truths from it. Put it, burn it deep into our hearts and in my heart that I would not just curse the darkness but shine the light, that I would not 
despair over debauchery, but rejoice in, first of all, rejoice in it bothering me, and rejoice that you have an answer. You turned my life inside out, upside down, and you can do that in the lives of those with whom we interact. So, do a work. And Lord, would you do a work, a deep spiritual work, in the lives of those public folks who also need to know you? And I'm not judging a heart. I can't tell. I don't know where any individual is. I only know what is said, what is acted on. May I not be hypocritical in this, but live for you. Righteousness exalts a nation, a city, an individual. Sin is a reproach, a snare, a burden to anyone. And so, move in our hearts. Make a difference in and through our lives for your glory, Lord Jesus, in your name.